Okay. Um, few announcements. We are actually, first let me tell you, we're in uh, Numbers 31 and picking up with verse 25. Numbers 31 picking up with verse 25. But I have a few announcements to make first. Number one, we have uh, our adult dinner that will be coming up uh, Monday, May, uh, Monday the 10th. And it's to be announced. We don't actually know where we're going yet. And the church picnic will be August 16th. And the church supplies the hamburgers and hot dogs. So you can bring a dish to pass or whatever uh, else you would like. And also we're having a marriage seminar on uh, September 12th. That's a Saturday. And it'll be from 1 to 5 with the dinner following for everyone to have a chance to fellowship afterwards. Um, and also on September 24th, New Hope will be having their banquet. And we encourage anyone who's able to, to go and, and support New Hope Pregnancy Crisis Center. And um, one last um, announcement I want to make is anyone, if there's anyone who wants to be baptized, just let Frank or I know. And we usually do a baptism during, you know, before our church picnic, or we do them even, um, you know, any, any Sunday you would like to be baptized. So if you've committed your life to Jesus Christ and been born again, and you'd like to be baptized, uh, just let us know, and we have it in our pool behind the house. It's a good time to do it. The water's warm. Wait till October. I'm not guaranteeing anything, but uh, anyway, let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for the fact that you are love. And in you, and you alone, do we have salvation and the hope of life eternal. And so, Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would come and minister to each one of us, encourage us in all your ways, and help us, Heavenly Father, to just walk in such a way that we're a witness, we're a light to those around us. Because as this world becomes darker and darker, our light should be shining brighter and brighter. And so come by your Holy Spirit and minister to us. Use me, Lord, to speak the truth, your truth, to these, your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, I was reading a um, statement that Sarah Huckleby Sanders made. I don't know if you know who she is. She was uh, um, the press secretary for quite a while. And she said, uh, it's my responsibility to watch over my health it's the government's responsibility to watch over the Constitution. And when you lose one, you lose both. I thought that was a very profound statement. And I also want to share something from Jonathan Kahn. And I don't know how many of you uh, receive his devotional. He has a monthly devotional. And he's a Jewish believer. Uh, therefore, he doesn't have anything on Saturday or Sunday, but it's Monday through Friday. But on, um, in, in the magazine, the devotion is called Sapphires. And on July 30th of this past week, this is what he wrote. When culture, goes away, uh, when culture goes against the ways of God, you have to go against the ways of culture. And so our responsibility, we're citizens of heaven, and our responsibility is to serve the Lord. You know, I, I was called this week, and this survey was being taken. Actually, it was from Bank of America, and they had to get, update information and like that. And one of the questions they asked me is if I had dual citizenship. And I said, yes. <laughs> 
And they said, okay, uh, the United States and where? And I said, heaven. And the, the girl on the other end said, praise the Lord. She said, I don't dare talk about these kinds of things on the phone. She said, but that's a blessing. So that's pretty cool. Now, there are three definite takeaways that we can take from this portion that we're going to be looking at this morning. So if you take notes, you might want to write them down. First, God will judge evil, which is rebellion against the very purposes that he created man. You know, I'm one of those guys, I have all these crazy thoughts sometimes. But I was thinking this morning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created this vast universe. You know, some people are trying to figure out whether there's life on other planets, and I can tell them emphatically there isn't. Well, how can you say that? Because Jesus died once and for all. If there were life on other planets, he would have had to die for their sins as well, and he didn't. And so all this vast creation, and we are the only humans in the entire universe that were created by Almighty God for one purpose, to worship and serve him. And how sad it is when the people of this world lose sight of that purpose of worshiping and serving him. So anyway, um, number one, these are the takeaways from this portion. God will judge evil, which is rebellion against the very purpose he created man. Second, God uses his people to fight this battle against evil. He's using us. He wants to. And third, he will have complete victory, and he will give reward to his soldiers. And you know what that reward is. Because we have to understand there is a real battle that we as believers are fighting, especially as the world becomes darker and darker. And some might be wondering, well, well what is that battle? What is my battle? Well, we have to understand this battle is against all the evil and darkness of this world. And darkness is becoming more distinct from the light. Have you noticed that? There used to, years ago, there was kind of like, you know, a gray area where you had people that had Christian morality and so forth, but they weren't believers. And then you had those that were really believers and you had those that were really bad. But now it's like a single line. Either you follow the Lord or you don't. It's becoming darker and darker on one side, but our light should be shining brighter and brighter. And uh, we have to realize, too, that while some might become wounded in battle, in any battle, someone might become wounded, but we have a great physician when we're wounded. Now listen, his healing will either be in this life or the next. And I say that because just because we're believers, it doesn't mean we're guaranteed we'll never get sick, we'll never get injured, we'll never die. It's appointed unto every man once to, to die, and then judgment. But we have a great physician that if he doesn't heal us in this life, which he can and does, will heal us when we go to heaven. It's an amazing promise that we have from the Lord. We also have to remember that our reward for service, for serving him, is him. That is our reward. Turn with me to Matthew 6 and verses 19 through 21. Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. It might be very familiar to a lot of you, to most of you, because it's a, it's a great portion of Scripture, especially for the days in which we're living and for each of us individually. Matthew 6, starting with verse 19. 
And it says, do not, and in, in the Greek, that's the affirmative present tense. What that means is this is a definite, and you do it always. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust uh, destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your treasure? Is it in this life or in the life to come? I want to store up treasures in heaven where no one can touch it. And I want my heart to be there with the things of God. Because we have to understand when we're reading this portion, a lot of times you know, people have asked me, why was God's judgment so harsh on certain peoples? You know, the Midianites, the Moabites, the Canaanites, and all the ites, but not the Larry Ikes. <laughs> He's blessed. <laughs> but why was God's judgment brought down on, on these people? Because their evil was so pervasive that it's unmentionable. I mean, they were awful. And so God brought his wrath down upon them. But we have to remember that we say, well, well what about the Midianites? I mean, I mean, they heard the truth of God. When Balaam tried to curse Israel, remember, all he could do was bless them. And the Midianites heard it. They heard God's blessings on Israel. And one of the things that I, that I realize anyway is that God has always been faithful to make sure that all people are without excuse. And so we have to realize that everyone has had the opportunity in one way or another to understand the glories of God. Even heavens itself, it tells us, declares the glory of God. And if you take notes, that's Psalm, uh, Psalm 19, verse 1. And, uh, you know, so many people, it's kind of like if you had a barber shop and uh, you had a big sign in the window, free shave and haircuts. I mean, some of you don't realize that barbershops used to do shaves too. But anyway, let's say you had a sign in the, in the window that says free, you know, uh, haircuts and shaves. Then you had some guy walking by cursing the barber because he didn't have enough money to get a shave and a haircut. You see what I'm saying? God, what he has offered to us is free. He's saying, free salvation to all who call upon my name. And then there are some people that curse God because they don't have what it takes to be saved. Well, the thing is, all of us have what it takes to go to hell. <laughs> None of us have what it takes to be saved. That's why we call upon his name and his gift is free. He comes in, and he not only washes away all of our sin, but he changes our heart by indwelling in us by his spirit. It's such an amazing promise that we have from the Lord. Because we have to realize there has always been darkness, as I mentioned earlier. And so you and I have even more and more of a responsibility of shining that light as things become even more dark in this world. Think about this. The United States has the most religious freedom at this time. Uh, the most churches, the most Bibles, greatest volume of Christian books, most evangelistic efforts, and yet this nation's light is fading quickly and darkness is overtaking this world. I'm not saying that we're not shining, but darkness is... Think about these statistics as far as how, how dark our world is. The U.S. Supreme Court 
legalized abortion in the well-known Roe versus Wade decision that was made in 1973. Currently, there are 1.2 million abortions performed each year in the United States. Worldwide, about 20 to 30 million legal abortions and another 10 to 20 million illegal abortions. 3,978,497 babies are born yearly. Do the math in comparing that to abortions. It's staggering, isn't it? It's staggering. The number, the percentage of babies that are taken from the womb, that are murdered in the womb before they have a chance to be born. The human trafficking industry earns yearly $1,800,000,000 worldwide. And the U.S. is the third largest consumer of human trafficking. In the U.S., every, every 73 seconds, women are sexually assaulted, or 17.7 million a year. There are 1,030,000 home invasions each year. 45% of marriages in the U.S. end in divorce. In the age group 18 to 24, 60% live outside the confines of marriage. Now, these statistics that I'm mentioning here, they don't include the multi-billion dollar porn industry in the U.S., the increasing number of murders each year, the increasing number of those who claim to be homosexuals and transsexuals and gender fluid. And I don't know if any of you saw the article, but the ACLU is demanding that uh, sanitary uh, protections, women things, would be put in the men's room to not discriminate against those that have a flow. We live in a very dark world. Now, this nation, I believe, is ripe for judgment. Why? Because God is just. And a just God has to judge sin. Otherwise, he wouldn't be just. There'd be no reason for Jesus to have died if God doesn't judge unrighteousness. Now, here's what it tells us, in, um, because here's the thing we have to understand. I believe with all my heart that the time of the rapture of the church is coming very close at hand. I mean, when we see the fullness of unrighteousness that's developing and ripening in this world, it helps us to understand his coming is so close. And yet, for you and I as believers, we have hope. And, and here's what it tells us in Luke 21, 36. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. If you read the book of Revelation, you know it's going to come to pass on this earth. God's judgment is going to be very severe. But for you and I as believers, we're promised we won't be here. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, it says this, For God, talking to believers, for God did not appoint us to wrath, his wrath coming upon the world, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So you and I have been told in advance that there's going to come a time where you're going to have a sinister, very sinister being who's going to rule this world. In fact, it was prophesied in Daniel 8.23, and it says, and in the latter time, talking about the times in which we're living uh, of their kingdom, 
when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise, having fierce features, who understands sinister schemes. The NIV says, a stern-faced king, a master of intrigue, will arise. Well, I think we can see the, the birth of that happening right now. We can see everything that's happening in this world now to control people, to control us, to try to control Christians. And so the groundwork's being laid. But the fact is, when we see, see the groundwork being laid, we know our redemption is near. I, I remember a story, and you've probably heard me share this at least five or a thousand times. But anyway, um, one time, uh, Pastor Chuck and his wife, this is before he went to be with the Lord, and they were in a store during, uh, um, you know, Christmas time. And uh, so, you know, all the Christmas decorations were out and all the songs were playing. And Pastor Chuck said to his wife, he said, boy, Thanksgiving must be close. And she goes, what, what, what do you mean? She said, he said, well, they're playing Christmas carols, and Thanksgiving comes before Christmas, so, you know, Thanksgiving must be very close. Well, the fact of the matter is, we see all the signs, we see all the decorations in a figurative way of the end times, which means the rapture must be right at hand. The rapture's close. Now, in Numbers 31... And I'm not going to read this whole um, chapter. I'm only going to read from 15 to uh, 31 because all the rest of it is how many goes to this, how many goes to that, how many sheep, how many, you know, and so forth. But in Numbers 31, I'm going to read verses uh, 25 through 31. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, count up the plunder that was taken of man, of beast, for you and Eleazar the priests and the chief fathers, that be the chief of every tribe of the congregation, and divide the plunder into two parts between those who took part in the war and went out to battle and all the congregation. And levy a tribute for the Lord on the men of war who went out to battle. One of every 500 of the persons, the cattle, the donkeys, the sheep, Take it from their half and give it to Eleazar the priest as a heave offering to the Lord. And from the children of Israel, half you shall take, one of every, of, of every 50 uh, drawn from the persons, the cattle, the donkeys, the sheep, from all the livestock, and give them to the Levites who keep charge of the tabernacle of the Lord. So Moses and Eleazar the priest did as the Lord commanded, which is always a good thing to do. Now, one of the things that we see in this is that reward is given to the victors. The reward is, you know, given to the victors. The thing that's interesting when you read this, too, is, as well, is those supporting the war received a similar reward to those that fought the war. You follow what I'm saying? It wasn't just those that went out to battle, but those that were supporting them, they received a similar reward. And so we have to understand you know, that not all of us can be evangelists, not all of us can be missionaries, not all of us can be pastors, but we receive the same reward. And that is salvation through Jesus Christ, the assurance of being in heaven with him. Now, those supporting the, uh, the war oftentimes are more important 
really denotes fighting a war because you have this huge, huge group of people that support it and that small number that actually fight the war. But without this huge group that's able to give them the resources that they need, they don't have the weapons to fight the battle. And so we all work together in doing the work of Jesus Christ and fighting the battle against sin and death. Now, also notice a portion was set aside to support the priests and the temple workers. In other words, the work of ministry. It's important for you and I to remember that we, we need to support our local churches, but we need to support all those that are out there fighting the battles as well. Our missionaries, something like New Hope Pregnancy Crisis Center, and, and many, many other mission areas that are out there. We need to be willing to support them with our prayers and even with our finances. No one, you, you see here, no one had an entitlement attitude. In other words, I deserve this, I deserve that. I went out and fought the battle, I should get more. No one had an entitlement attitude at all. They just wanted to serve the Lord. And that's the way it should be for all of us. I just want to serve the Lord. I just want to be His. Without the support of the Lord, we have to understand... Well, just let me say this. Consider how many of our brave military men and women have served this country with no expectations, but only a desire to preserve, to preserve the values of this nation. And how much more humbly should you and I serve the Lord? No expectations, just wanting to see the work of the ministry move forward. Without the support of the Lord, there would be no victories, either the Israelites fighting the Midianites or you and I fighting the battle of this world. There'd be no victories. We might be frontline warriors or behind-the-line supporters, financially with prayer and so forth, or called to full-time ministry and preaching and teaching His Word, but it is always the Lord who gives the victory, and He alone is, for you and I as believers, is our reward. He alone is our reward. In fact, in Genesis 15.1, if you take notes, Genesis 15.1, and the Lord speaking to Abram, before his name was changed to Abraham, and do not be afraid, Abram. Abram, I am your shield, protector, listen to this, your exceedingly great reward. What could be a better, a better reward than knowing that we belong to the Lord and he's given us the promise of heaven? To be absent from this body is to what? Be present with the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, what if I die? Hallelujah. <laughs> I feel bad for those that are going to be left behind. And, you know, and I know a lot of people will, will mourn and be sad. You know, I just joke. But I feel bad for those people that might be left behind. But when we pass from this life to the next, we're with Jesus. You know, there's not going to be anybody in heaven saying, gee, I kind of miss that old earth kind of miss all that stuff going on down there and, and all the, you know, I, I miss watching the news. Ah. <laughs> There's not going to be anything that we miss when we're with the Lord. That's the promise. He is. I love the way uh, he puts it in Genesis here. You're exceeding, God is speaking to Abram. He said, you're exceedingly great reward. What is exceeding? Beyond what we can even contain. Great reward. Amazing. 
One of the things, if you notice in this portion, if you move down to 40, uh, verse 49, I didn't read it, but if you move down to verse 49 in this portion of Numbers, chapter 31, it says this. It tells us that Israel did not lose one man in the war. They didn't lose one man in the war. And the thing we have to understand is that when God's judgment comes on this world, all that is, that is his will come home. He won't lose anyone. Everyone that is his will come home. And the reason I mention that, because some people think, well, what if the Lord came back and, and I really wasn't doing what he wanted me to do? What if the Lord came back and I was, you know, wasn't into my reading and prayer? What if the Lord, he's not going to lose anybody. If you're born again of the Spirit, you belong to Jesus Christ, you have the assurance of eternal life, you're going to be gone. You might be embarrassed where you're taken from, but you're going to be gone. He's not going to lose anyone. Because of what it tells us here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I love uh, this portion. And I'm going to read verses 17 through 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 17 through 18. Then we who are alive and remain, talking about believers, this is after the dead in Christ arise first. We who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Listen, I love this. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. When we die, when the rapture comes, we're going to be with the Lord. Always to be with the Lord. Even when he comes down back to earth and we come with him to reign with him on earth, we're going to be with the Lord. We'll always be with the Lord. What an amazing promise we have in Scripture. You know, um, in this portion here, because some people have asked me, well, gee, why did they take, you know, those girls captive and stuff like that? Well, the 32,000 young women who were taken captive, we know this from, uh, you know, church history, and we also know this from some of the ancient writings of the Hebrews, all 32,000 young women who were taken captive were not slaves. They're, they were incorporated into the society of Israel. Did you know that in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, there's a Moabite? Ruth? So we have to understand, these women were taken and they were assimilated into the entire congregation of Israel. And um, they were actually much better off than they were in the pervertive uh, society of the Midianites. I don't want to get into it. But I can't tell you how evil that society was and how perverse it was. It was just awful. Now, I've been asked why all the young males were put to death. And I don't have a definite answer for maybe all the reasons they were. But one of the things I came across uh, in my study that I thought was uh, overwhelming is that there is a pledge that the Midianites took, and it's called the Golishim Pledge. And the Golishim Pledge was this, that when they came to maturity, they had to take revenge on their relatives. So probably one of the thoughts of the Israelites were they knew about this pledge, and they thought, well, if we bring these young men in, when they grow on to maturity, they're going to fight against us. They're going to take revenge. 
Now, for you and I as believers, though, the bottom line is that our great treasure, our great reward, is not material possessions, but the Lord himself. So many times, you know, in our own flesh, and, uh, you know, we try to find happiness through fame and, and through possessions and through our abilities and through education, through our social standing, and, and through all these different means, we try to find, you know, our reward. We try to find our purpose. But we have to understand, I, I love that verse, and it's uh, actually Psalm 20, verse 7. Some men trust in horses, some men trust in chariots, but I shall trust in the name of the Lord. He is our reward. He is the one we trust in. If you're looking, listen to me. If you're looking to the gov- for the government to protect you, you've got a problem. If you're looking to the world or anyone or any kind of movement to protect you, you have a problem. There is only one place that we can put our treasure and have it secure, and that's in Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Matthew 19. And... Um, 21, a neat portion, most of you know this, this is when uh, Jesus met, he's titled, or he's called the rich young ruler, he was a young man, had great wealth, and uh, he, was, he was a religious man. Now remember that we're not called to be religious, we're called to have a relationship. Religion is man-made, it's our own attempt to try to achieve righteousness before God where relationship is receiving our righteousness from the Lord himself. So in this portion, in Matthew, I lost my place. Here is Matthew 19, 21. Matthew 19, 21. Jesus asked the rich young ruler to sell all he had and to follow him, and he would have riches in heaven. But what did he choose? He chose not to do that. It says, it tells us in that portion, he went away sad because he had great wealth. He chose the scraps of this world over the riches of heaven. And we have to be careful not to do that. We can't be looking for all the scraps of this world. I mean, it, it's, it, it's amazing that people don't realize that the only place we can really have a reward is in heaven. It's the only place that it can be taken where no one can break in and steal. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth cannot destroy, where thieves cannot break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth can, uh, can destroy nor thieves break in and steal. And I love what it says, for where your treasure is, there is your heart, your inner man, your cardi, the essence of who you are. There is your heart also. Where's your treasure? My treasure's in heaven. And the thing is, it's not a hard choice. You either choose the scraps of this world that you can't even hang on to, or you choose the treasures of heaven. This is why, as believers, we have to understand it hinders our testimony when we're looking for the things of this world to give us fulfillment. Because even when we achieve things in this world, the fulfillment is only short-lasting. You know that? Well, I can't wait to have this. I can't wait to get that. And then you have this and you get that, and it's kind of fun for a while. Then you want to move on to something else. It's not lasting. 
This is why, as believers, it hinders our testimony when we complain, when we criticize, and become wanton for the things of this world. And a lot of times, they go together. Well, you know, we criticize others because they have what we don't have, and we're always, you know, doing whatever we can, scheming to get something that we can't really possess anyway. And so we have to come to a place of recognizing that our reward is in heaven. He's the only one we should be serving. Now, a lot of times I've had people come to me and say, well, you're a pastor, you know what you're doing, but how do I know what I should be doing to serve the Lord? Well, the answer is found in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. If you want to turn there, we're basically closing with this. Colossians chapter 3 and go to verse 23. And if you want to know what you can be doing for the Lord to serve him in these last days, it's found in this portion. Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24. Colossians 3, starting with verse 23. And whatever you do, do you know what that means? Whatever you do. And whatever you do, do it heartily, with all your strength, with all your might, with all your effort, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. So in other words, <clears throat> what do you do? Deliver mail? Carpenter? Engineer? Physician? What do you do? Whatever you do, do it heartily unto the Lord. What a testimony that is to the world around us and the people all around us. You know, you don't have to walk into work tomorrow and say, turn or burn, you know. If you don't accept Christ, you're going to hell because people are going to look at you and think you're a kook, and you would be. But the reality is if we go to work and we work at it heartily with all of our heart, do the best we can, people will eventually uh, be aware of the fact that we're believers and might even start asking us questions because they feel comfortable talking to us. Because we're not critical, we're not talking behind people's back, we're not doing any of those things. We're just doing our work, whatever it is, to the best of our ability. What a testimony that is. <clears throat> and the question that only you can answer, the question only I can answer is, are we serving the Lord with all of our heart? Or are we distracted by the ways of this world? And I don't say that to put anyone on a guilt trip because, believe me, I'm a sinner saved by grace just like every one of you. I'm no different than any of you except I was called. But I still have all the same struggles and problems you do. And the reality is we want to end up doing everything as unto the Lord. How many times have every one of us gone to bed at night, and if we're married, you talk to your wife or your husband, and you say, boy, I wish I would have. I wish I would have spent more time in prayer in the Word than watching some stupid thing on TV. I wish I would have been more in the Word in prayer, you know, than gallivanting here and gallivanting there just to please my flesh. So we have to realize that as we're coming to the end of the age, which we are, as we're coming to the last days, that time in which the Lord is going to come quickly for his church, 
We have to understand where our greatest responsibility is. It's interesting, when we get into the marriage seminar, we'll talk about this, but it talks about the fact that because the time is near, those of you who are, who are married should live as if you are not. Now, it doesn't mean, well, the time's close, honey, so uh, take another bedroom and maybe even another house. We're going to live as if. That's not what that's talking about. It's talking about the fact that as a couple, our responsibility in these last days is to live for the Lord, to serve him together. Do you know, I love that portion in, in Scripture where it says two are better than one, Right? And a three-quart strand cannot be broke, easily broken. Well, the third part of that strand is Jesus Christ, is the Lord. But the reality is there's a, um, a term, some of you who've taken math, you know what this is, a synergism it's called. So, like, let's say I could lift 50 pounds. I can lift a lot more than that. But, uh, but let's say I could lift 50 pounds, and you could lift 50 pounds. You might do one plus one equals two and say, well, together then we could lift 100 pounds. No, together you could, live a, you could lift 150 pounds. It's called synergism. The actual work, you guys know what I'm talking about, it increases with the number of uh, machines operating. And so the point is that as a couple, you can do more together than you could separately. So now in these last days, that's where our focus should be. That's what we should be concerned about. Because you drive down the road, you go into the stores, you look all around you, and you see just the emptiness in people's eyes. You see the emptiness. And, and you're thinking, oh, I wish you would know Jesus. Well, it's important for us to let our light shine in these last days more brightly and more continually than we normally do. You know, some of us, we think our light's a flashlight. Well, I'm going into this place, click. <laughs> oh, and now I'm going into a Christian place, click. Well, our light isn't a flashlight. It shouldn't be anyway. It should be shining all the time. Because the very spirit of the living God dwells within our heart, our cardiac, our inner man, dwells within us. Literally. This isn't some figurative, you know, way of speaking. God, by his Holy Spirit, literally dwells within us. Wow, what an amazing thing. We're no longer our own, Scripture tells us, because we were bought with a price, a very great price. Jesus Christ, who was without any sin, sent to this world by God the Father, he willingly suffered and died on a cross as a propitiation for every single rotten, filthy sin we've ever committed and shall commit. Because if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ, God raised Jesus from the dead, we're saved. And we have to be willing to make our confession, to repent, to recognize that maybe we're doing things that are wrong and say, God, forgive me, a sinner. And help me to draw closer to you. And that's why I give this one last challenge. If there's anyone here who has never really committed their life to Jesus Christ, they've never been what we call born again, it's very simple. You don't have to do flips. You don't have to stand in your head. I don't even ask people to come forward. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with altar calls. I don't do it. But all you have to do if you want to be born again is just... Tell Jesus, I'm a sinner. 
please forgive me and take over my life. That's it. Well, that sounds too simple. If it was any more complex, none of us would be saved because we're simple. (laughs) And so what a beautiful promise we have from the Lord. Father, we come before you in Jesus Yeshua's name, and we thank you so much for salvation, eternal life, and all the promises that you've given us in, in your word. And Lord, I'm so thankful that you've given us the promise that you are going to take us out of this world before your wrath comes. And I pray, Father, that we would make the most of every opportunity until that time does come. We don't want to be standing on a hill waiting for your return. We want to be right in the thick of the battle, sharing our faith right up until the day you take us home. And so come by your Holy Spirit and minister your truth, your word to us, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.